The best in Internet talk radio. A mind-bendingly ingenious plan to control the universe. We're building the best Internet talk radio on the planet. TalkZone.com It's time for Healthy Talk Radio. By the powers vested in me, by the Federal Communications Commission. Coming to you live from the headquarters of the Global Health Network and across the world wide web. (gasps) Computers can do that? It's America's longest running radio program dedicated to your health and wellness. What's taking place here is an alternative approach. Now, the woman who's changing the face of health care each and every day. That's the fact. Here's Deborah Ray. Good day. Welcome to Healthy Talk Radio. I'm Deborah Ray. Well, it's set up as a fully collaborative, integrative partnership. It's an industry-university collaboration. Ooh, do we see some vested interest there? BASF and Harvard University announcing, quote, extensive research collaboration. It's what we do on a regular basis. Open up the phone lines. Invite you to join us toll-free, no matter where you're listening to us. Any of your health care questions, have a health care challenge, confused about your treatment options, we invite you to join us. Neurologist Dr. William Hamaskar will be joining us today. Uh, you have the opportunity to pick up the phone and join us. Any of your compelling health care questions, we'll focus on brain health as well at one 800 3073 right here on Healthy Talk Radio. Now the news and views about the news you won't hear anywhere else. The Healthy Talk Radio News Digest. Well, it's published in the journal Food Chemistry out of the National University of Technology from Argentina. They took a look at applied extracts of Argentinian Propolis, yes, B propolis, to cultures of E. coli bacteria. What they found was that the concentration was effective on E. coli populations as high as 10,000 cells per milliliter, indicating that propolis could be used as a natural non-toxic, yet uh, very effective food preservative, particularly in instances where E. coli is a potential detrimental cause of foodborne illness. There is substantial uh, market for propolis already out there uh, because of its science-based background in treating inflammation, minor skin wounds, ulcers, uh, as well as bacterial, viral, and fungal infections. It's also been uh, rumored to be linked to improving heart health and reducing cataract risk. But this Argentinian study was the first to test the use of propolis as a preservative. Interesting indeed, because of course the worldwide market of food preservatives is $574.8 billion. Propolis could take some of that natural, non-toxic food preservative market. Well, we heard it, and it seemed to come from out of the blue think otherwise because they indicated that for many years the Food and Drug Administration has known about the potential harm with children's uh, cold remedies. There's there's a history of regulation behind this product warning uh, delay 
And uh, according to Dr. Michael Shannon, professor of pediatrics at Harvard University, there are a huge number of drugs regularly given to our children that have never been tested in children. And according to Dr. Shannon, he's concerned that many of these agents may be inappropriate for children. Um, there is a history of drug regu- regulation and the evolution of scientific thinking on how drugs work in adults as well as children. And, of course, the over-the-counter medications arrived on the market before the government regulations for more stringent testing, and it was long considered unethical and unnecessary to test drugs in children. So why over-the-counter cough and uh, cold remedies are among many products that have been sold for decades before the Food and Drug Administration had the authority to regulate them closely. Now comes the revelation that these very common over-the-counter cold and uh, uh, flu remedies may be of detriment to our children, but they've been eyed for years. Well, it's interesting information, uh, taking a look at what has become the traditional Western diet. Uh, that is that we eat a lot more processed food these days. New research is creating more reasons for you to think twice before feeding that processed food diet to your children or even eating it for yourself, for that matter. A six-month study led by Dr. David Ludwig who uh, directs a program at Children's Hospital Boston that is uh, entitled Optimal Weight for Life, indicating that a diet of mostly processed foods is causing fatty liver disease in the young. And fatty liver disease is linked to insulin resistance as as, uh, well as a higher risk of hepatitis as well as liver cancer. All this, according to Dr. Ludwig, caused by the increase of processed foods in our diet. And just this week we were speaking with Gary Tobbs, who is a well-known science journalist, about his new book, Controversial, Good Calories, Bad Calories, indicating that there's a great deal of science to back up the fact that we know when we eat refined carbohydrates, it is linked to problems with liver Function, So the higher glycemic our index, the much more likely we are to develop fatty liver. Because uh, when you eat processed foods, you have higher body fat, more fat in your bloodstream, and twice as much fat in your liver. That processed food is causing liver disease in many children uh, with now reported liver disease being found in 5 to 7-year-olds. And just this year, the report that uh, a two-year-old reported as having fatty liver disease. Kind of eye-opening information now, isn't it? Well, it is um, something that many of us enjoy and think is part of total body health, body work. Now, two researchers from the Mayo Clinic Scottsdale indicate that they uh, have at least one case history of a healthy woman with a local compression nerve injury in the shoulder that they believe to be caused by massage. Um, She 
got a massage, started having pain in her left shoulder. The pain persisted to the point uh, that she had actually weakness in her left arm. When they did an MRI, they diagnosed a nerve compression injury. But you have to wonder, you know, if the massage was that vigorous to cause a compression injury to a nerve, wasn't she in pain to, to complain of that before that injury occurred? And of course it, it gives short shrift to the, the overall revelation that massage has much science to back it up. I mean, there's a whole book on the, the research done at the Miami Touch Institute, the University of Miami, led by Dr. Tiffany Field on massage therapy, yet such low risk. So, <laughs> you know, it almost seems anticlimactic to get really excited because while we feel badly for one woman, one injury out of hundreds of thousands, if not more, massage uh, uh, events each and every year in this country, I don't know, kind of have to put that one in perspective. Well, it's a possible ban by the British National Health Service on serving alcoholic beverages to pregnant women. Apparently, it has evoked somewhat of a controversy with today's British Medical Journal, indicating that women should decide for themselves if they want to consume small amounts of alcohol in pregnancy. Uh, the British government recommending that pregnant women abstain from drinking. So, are they going to take the step to uh, to be sort of the, the nanny state, actually banning alcoholic uh, beverage sales to, uh, to pregnant women? Or are they going to let women choose for themselves? Of course, they take a very different viewpoint of health uh, in, the, in Great Britain because of their focus on cost-effective care. Well, birth effects, very tragic situation and um, eye-opening to know that um, the Latin population has twice the rate of birth defects, particularly neurotube birth defects, than that of the Caucasian, uh, white American population. And what they have now found in a study out of uh, California, that despite a decade-long public health effort, to raise folic acid consumption. Of course, folic acid can reduce the risk of neurotube birth defects. That the use of folic acid has declined among California Latinos. Just think about it. A rate of neurotube birth, birth defects double that. Yet, um, can't get the message across that folic acid makes a difference. We're going to return open phone lines, your health care questions with Dr. William Hammersvar joining us today at 1-800-307-3002. Any of your health care questions, we do it each week during this time right here on Healthy Talk Radio. Now, more of Healthy Talk Radio. Get in on the phones now at 1-800-307-3002. Open phone lines. We do it each and every week during this time. Any of your health care challenges, confused about what your treatment options might be, 
um, certainly concerned about making a right choice, the informed choice about what's best for you. We are joined today by a noted neurologist, uh, uh, journalist Robin Robinson, has written an intriguing book about the type of practice he offers people, whether their health care challenges stroke, cerebral palsy, attention deficit, autism, brain injury, even migraines. It's all about brain health. He's Dr. William Hemisfar, who joins us today. Dr. Hemisfar, hello and welcome. Hi, hello, how are you? Well, nice to have you join us. Well, thank you. Well, with so many more people dealing with stroke these days, uh, Dr. Hemisfar, and the unfolding revelation that it's not just in our seventh or eighth decade that we can literally be affected by a stroke no matter what um, age uh, we might be. Give us an overview uh, of some of the innovative things that you have learned over your professional career in terms of looking at stroke. You do it in a different way than uh, nearly any other practitioner in the country. Yeah, you know, what what we've found over the last 10 and 15 years, and, and it's going across fields, all the medical fields now, is that the issue you've been talking about for years, inflammation and the pro-inflammatory disease, is a real thing. It's a major problem. It's hitting every single part of the body, from the heart to uh, the intestinal tract to the to the brain, of course, to, to cause of autism, attention deficit disorder, and strokes and migraines. I just got back from a conference about just recently in which... Uh, Physicians from Mount Sinai in New York and Columbia Presbyterian in New York, as well as Case Western Reserve, uh, down here at University of, of South Florida, uh, gastrointestinal specialists were talking about the problem of strokes in the intestines and in the stomach, which really? is becoming a major epidemic. So we're seeing strokes in young people, both in, in, the, in the intestines, we're seeing in the brain, we're seeing uh, migraines, which are... Uh, in the stomach causes things like irritable bowel syndrome and stomach pain in the brain causes strokes, of course, as well as headaches. We're seeing this uh, across the specialties. We're seeing heart disease in young folks. We're seeing lupus uh, and, and connective tissue diseases. We're seeing diseases we've never seen before and that there's really no, no background to, but the common denominator is this inflammatory disease and inflammation of the blood vessels. So we hear about uh, migraines, which are all too common even in, in young people, Dr. Hemisfar, as a potential risk factor for strokes. Help us to understand that. Okay, what's happening out there right now because of a lot of different things that are different from the last 30 or 40 years is that uh, blood vessels throughout the body are being damaged and irritated. And they're being damaged in part because of the environment that we live in, that we, we, we work in every day, that environment including cars, which result in car accidents, which irritate and change the size of blood vessels in the body. Um, you know, the average person has four or five major accidents causing whiplashes across their lifetime, major accidents being one that results in medical disability for longer than a month. And each of these injuries causes an injury to the mechanism that controls blood vessels in the body and narrows the blood vessels. So they tend to keep on narrowing. Then we have this problem of pesticides in the environment. Um, we have the vaccination problem. The vaccination problem is, is twofold. One is that historically vaccinations had mercury in them, which irritates and inflames blood vessels in the organs of the body, narrowing blood vessels and injuring blood organs. And second, the vaccinations themselves cause the body to start to develop an allergy to itself, and that allergy starts to irritate and injure the body and injure the blood vessels, which makes them narrow further. And then we have the problem, of course, of the pesticides, 
the all of the uh, uh, chemicals in our diet nowadays. And then we have other environmental issues, things like computer screens and TV screens, the altered, uh, the chronic stress levels that our bodies are under now, and the uh, the huge amount of light pollution. Uh, and by that I mean large TV screens, large uh, the computer screens. Uh, all of these things tend to also narrow blood vessels. So we have a large amount of different things in the environment uh, that narrow blood vessels. They, they do it on a daily basis, and they cause a chronic continuing narrowing of these blood vessels. When, when a blood vessel narrows to the and goes into a spasm, that's called, in medical terms, a migraine. We all think of migraines as being migraine headaches, but actually the term migraine means spasm of the blood vessel. Um, when a blood vessel goes into a spasm and narrows to about a third of its normal size, people start to develop symptoms, and that can be everything from irritable bowel syndrome. It can also be things like uh, we hear about candida and yeast infections in the body. And what that often comes about is that the blood vessels in the intestinal tract have narrowed to the point that they make the intestinal tract not any longer. Um, the, the intestinal tract normally is sort of sealed off. The bacteria is sealed off from the bloodstream and the rest of the body. But if you narrow blood vessels and cut off some of the blood flow to the intestinal tract, that that barrier is no longer properly nourished by the body and starts to break down, allowing candida, yeast, and other things to enter into the bloodstream, which causes more injury and irritation to the body. Um, and then, of course, we see it with, uh, uh, in the brain, we'll see uh, as the blood vessel starts to be spasm, we'll see things like depression, like both bipolar disease, sometimes schizophrenia, sometimes psychosis, often depression, uh, irritability, short-term memory loss, senior moments, which are happening now and often to people in their 30s, um, sleep, sleep disturbances which are in part caused by hormonal changes in the body, which are part caused by lack of blood flow at the proper times of the brain. Um, and then as blood vessels continue to narrow, depending on where they narrow, you get pain. And in the head, it's a headache, a migraine headache. In the, in the stomach, it's a stomach pain. Children often get them abdominal migraines. In the heart, it's a chest pain, like Arthur Ashe had, which he had his heart attack from. Um, so... A migraine is just a spasm of the blood vessel, and these spasms used to historically be considered kind of rare intermittent phenomenon, but now they're very chronic. They're, we're seeing them every single day in the office, uh, and I have a really, a, although I have a specialized practice, my practice is uh, people really don't tend to respond to other folks, and they search out new solutions. In fact, as I talk to my colleagues, both in neurology and in other fields, we're seeing this, this inflammatory disease reaction and the accompanying autoimmune disorders across specialties. Because um, uh, you know, usually the, the factors are multifactorial. Do you find uh, you know people with a his- yeah treat, treat them, yeah history with a, a migraines, uh, but also you know, other factors that are reminiscent of living an inflammatory lifestyle, Doctor Hemisphere? Um, you know, th- these patients um, have a real serious problem because they're mul- they are multifactorial, which means that a lot of different things cause this inflammation. I talked about earlier about whiplash as being one of the first, one of the common causes. Now we see autoimmune disease and we see uh, uh, pesticides and heavy metals very commonly uh, because they're all in the water supply. That's been a problem as far as, until just very recently, we're just beginning to get around it, as far as how you treat these people or even how you diagnose them. Because historically, if a problem was, uh, say, stomach pain, a person saw a stomach specialist. If a problem was a heart problem, they went to a heart specialist. So what happened was, each person looked at the patient from their own very specialized area. Uh, intestinal specialists were not used to looking at blood vessels or even thinking about blood vessels. 
nor were heart specialists, uh, other than looking at the bigger blood vessels inside the heart. They weren't used to thinking in terms of other blood vessels in the body or things that can affect these blood vessels. So as cure, as consequence, care got very fractionated, uh, and nobody really kind of came together. And everybody gave different medicines for their specific organ system, not really recognizing that this was a problem affecting the entire body and what we would think normally being a healthy individual, no cholesterol plaques or very low, we know, very few cholesterol diseases or other the traditional things that cause blood vessel disorders. So it's been a real problem as far as how you how you uh, develop care. Fortunately, physicians now, I think, are catching on to the idea that we have to look actively for vasculitis and inflammatory diseases. Well, you've been and one of the interesting things that came out of New York recently was that we often can't find the specific inflammatory trigger uh, because basically... It is multifactorial. So when you look for an inflammatory trigger, the say a heavy metal problem or a pesticide problem, the amount in the body is lower than we have historically thought is the cause of the of, of disorders. However, the cumulative effect of lots of these different things in the same body sure. puts you over the threshold, which causes the inflammatory disease. Hold that thought. We'll be back with more of Dr. William Hemisfar joining us today. Our lines open. Any of your health care questions, 1-800-307-3002. I share the announcer says... We're the talk of the Internet. TalkZone.com. The information on Healthy Talk Radio may be eye-opening, controversial, and disturbing to some closed-minded members of the medical community, but it is all well-documented and presented by credentialed guests as well as our knowledgeable host. It may not represent the views of this network, this radio station, or its sponsors, but hey, that's life. Open phone lines. We do it each and every week during this time. Your health care questions. Dr. William Hammersfar joining us today. The number... 1-800-307-3002. No matter where you're listening to us, your health care questions. We're talking about um, the rapidly increasing rate of uh, strokes, some of the, the factors in terms of what sets the stage, some of the many factors in terms of looking at a patient as a whole when it comes to restoring brain health. Let's uh, say hello and welcome to John. You're on the air with Dr. Hemisfar. John? Yeah, I have a friend who is 65, and she will be having hernia surgery in the very near future. I want to know about nutrition and supplementation before and after surgery, uh, like what vitamins and supplements should she take? Uh, should she be she get should she be getting, and in what amounts? Also, should she avoid supplements that are blood thinners, like e garlic, fish oil, or ginkgo, and also. What supplements should she take to protect against infection and MRSA? Good question, John. Uh, you know, we need to preface from the standpoint that nobody can can sit on a telephone and, and tell you, you know, what amount of nutrients is right for any person. We can certainly give you, uh, you know, ranges, but you know, nutrition is a very individualized scenario. Um, and your friend's needs for nutrients, particularly now that she's going to be stressed by a hernia operation, are going to change as well. So we certainly encourage her you know, to work with somebody that knows her body uh, because otherwise we're just guessing from here. We can give you general information based on the literature, but we're truly just guessing, knowing absolutely nothing else about her. Okay. 
but yes, you're right in general, and chime in here uh, whenever you like, Dr. Hamasfar, uh, you know, setting the stage so that you are in an optimal nutritional state before surgery is certainly going to make the difference and there's much research to indicate you know reducing the uh, the the risk of complications and and further uh, uh, hospitalizations John helping that body to heal makes a difference uh, that being said yes you've already identified that there is a a stepwise process here because it is wise just because of the likelihood of bleeding during surgery to stop any of those uh, nutrients even though they don't truly thin the blood in the fashion that a coumadin or warfarin or plavix would um, you know the the current wisdom is to stop vitamin E garlic fish oil, um, any of those blood-thinning medications uh, at least three to five days before surgery, resuming them after surgery okay. to help uh, you know, reduce the, uh, you know, the risk of, of clots after the surgical procedure. Mm-hmm. All of the nutrients that boost immune system as well as uh, healing process are good both before and after the surgery. Okay. And those would include nutrients like vitamin C, and again, that's a very individualized dosage. I take 14,000 milligrams of vitamin C a day. Okay. Yeah, vitamin C is crucial. You know, a lot of vitamin C is really crucial. You know, all these recommendations have to, of course, be discussed with your doctors too, but uh, and her doctors too. But the vitamin C after healing is crucial. Magnesium is crucial. Uh, if they have pain after, any, you know, pain longer than is expected, which in post-op pain, which is usually about two weeks. If the pain doesn't seem to be going away, uh, they might, they need to talk to their doctor about adding some zinc supplementation into their, into diet also. Okay. Um, and the things with the ginkgo and L-arginine and the other vasodilators, you, you, I would tend to recommend that they get stopped a little bit ahead of time also, a week or so before surgery, and then they can be picked up afterwards. The problem is not only that they thin the blood, but that they can, that there's a potential for interactions with the anesthetic agents. Yeah. And what you want is you want the um, physicians at the time of surgery to, if they need to change anesthetic agents or change something, you know, in a in, to customize the treatment or customize the medications given during surgery to the patient. It, you don't want them to have to think now. Now, what was this person on before, and is there going to be a problem with this canister, or should I switch to a different canister? You want them to be able to do what they're they're spe- they're, they're used to doing reflexively and rapidly and everything. So you want to kind of have the re- medical regimen as simple as possible before you go into the surgery. And okay. then you can pick up again at people also, after surgery is over. Also, uh, I'm worried about infection and MRSA. Uh, is there anything she can do to prevent that? I mean, just optimizing her immune function, and there's great science, uh, John, behind beta-glucan whether it's uh, derived from yeast cell wall or oats or mushrooms, that both before and after surgery, because uh, beta-glucan has the ability to activate macrophage, which is a frontline defense against bacterial, viral, fungal infections. Then the, the Brits have been doing some very innovative work, particularly uh, in these cases of hospital-acquired infections, doing things like the use of standardized garlic agents. Those can be used uh, either in a spray or, or a pill or even a cream form, John. Okay. They, they actually use atomized hydrogen peroxide in hospital settings uh, in Great Britain and give hospital patients probiotics after surgery. 
because they find that this reduces the risk of complications and the likelihood that the patient can get out of the, the hospital sooner, which okay. is a good thing. That's a really good question about the MRSA. You know, um, a lot of the problem of these antibiotic-resistant bacteria are in part caused by the fact that our food supply has so many of these antibiotics in it, in them, so that we have, you know, we are all essentially, where many of us are colonized with these antibiotic-resistant drugs, whether it's MRSA or one of, you know, almost a uh, hundred other, other bacteria. So if you, again, switch over to an organic diet, uh, you'll tend to have much lower levels of colonization of of these bacteria you should and therefore be be better able to handle the post-op surgery and, and also have less risk of infection with with uh, with these antibiotic resistant bacteria. Okay. All right. Thank you very much then. I'll you, see you. Your body forget, can really goodbye. kill quite a few antibiotic resistant bacteria. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem is is that if you're if you gain the antibiotic resistant bacteria superimposed upon your own flora and fauna which are also antibiotic resistant you, you set up a, a real bad situation. So if you can switch over as much to, as possible ahead of time, as, as soon as possible, right, even if you're expecting surgery, say, in two months down the road or even a month down the road, bacteria have a short lifespan. So if you can switch over as quickly as possible to organic food diets, distilled water, multivitamins, of course, the vitamin C, you've got a better shot at, 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 dealing, with, at, at dealing with and preventing hospital-acquired infections. Yeah, that's a great point okay. that Dr. Hammersbar brings up, John. Her diet before surgery, and even if you all have to resort to bringing her food in the hospital, it's going to make a difference, too. Okay, thank you very much, then. I'll see you. Thank you, John. And for the vegetarians, after uh, surgery or even before surgery, you know, vegetarians tend to have a low uh, uh, protein mass in their body and a low-protein diet is plenty adequate for day-to-day needs but not for the trauma induced from surgery, which can increase protein needs by up to 500% over normal. So those who are vegetarians who are thinking about who have had a car accident or have had surgery or have got chronic pain in their body may be having some protein deficiencies in their body and should try to really increase the amount of protein that they're using quite a bit. Again, up to 500% over normal for them. Absolutely, absolutely. And, of course, then something just simply as basic as um, washing their hands. Right. You know, everybody that comes in contact, you know, don't hesitate to be the squeaky wheel here, Dr. Hammersfall. Right. Because, right. I mean, it's amazing. I've seen recent studies just in the last two weeks of, of hospitals where, you know, at best nurses were washing their hands uh, 70% of the time. At best doctors were washing their uh, their hands less than 50% of the time. And they actually had to get tough, <laughs> tough and, and do some, some threatening actions to right. actually engage the medical staff to bring that level up to 80%. Well, well you, you know, wonder, the, why isn't it 100%? No, I, right now, I, I'm, I'm about 50. And so I entered into the period of time, I entered medical school at the time that routine prophylactic antibiotics were not being used, nor were there as many antibiotics being prescribed on a routine basis in the outpatient setting. That use of antibiotics all grew dramatically with the introduction of insurance company regulations right. to limit the amount of time patients were with physicians, either in the outpatient setting or in the hospital setting, and limit their hospital stays. You simply couldn't have long hospital stays. So therefore, um, people started giving prophylactic antibiotics in the hospitals. And of course, out in the office practices, children come through with just colds and viruses. And, and rather than, than uh, counseling them to take a few days off from school, it was to give an antibiotic and get them off the off the 
out of the office quickly. So I, I lived in the period when antibiotics were not used as regularly as they are now, and as well as, of course, now. And I saw that changeover in the nursing staff and the medical staff as people started to have a great deal of confidence in these antibiotics, figuring that because we had antibiotics for everything, you didn't have to be as careful with uh, the, the old-fashioned sanitation and, and hand-washing, that sort of thing. And, and really, it was a cultural change in, in the hospitals because there's such confidence in these antibiotics. And now we're sort of seeing the, the effect of that, where, where some of these MRSAs and other bacteria can spread through a hospital quite rapidly and where it spread throughout the communities. What about the, the prophylactic uh, use of antibiotics in, in surgical settings? And what um, you know, I've seen even in recent forays into hospitals, they're used still pretty routinely, Dr. Hammersfeld. They're used absolutely routinely. Vir- virtually every hospital, every patient is, is getting antibiotics ahead of time. And there's really not been good data to show that the antibiotics given before surgery or with surgery uh, help prevent infection. However, if you don't give them and a person gets an infection, and infections do happen uh, actually relatively rarely compared to serious infections compared to what we all think when we hear about them in the newspapers, but, but they do happen. And if they do happen and you haven't given the antibiotic, then you're going to have a real serious problem in, in, def- in defending yourself in a malpractice case. Uh, and you're also going to have a very serious problem with, with your license because many cases of a malpractice case is brought against you you automatically trigger a, uh, a, a, a violation of your life. Sure, sure. So as a consequence, it's one of these things where poor medical... And I, I've been there when that decision 20 years ago, when, when that line of logic was openly discussed among the physicians, the nurses, the hospital staffs, and, and the administration that, well, there's no good evidence for, the, for this working, but if we don't do it, how are we going to defend ourselves in court or to these boards of medicine? Therefore, we'll go ahead and give it to them, and, and that's resulted in a major change in, in you know, the prevalence of these bacteria and, and so on. Absolutely. Now, Absolutely. the good side, though, is that frankly, most of the new bacteria are, uh, while resistant to new antibiotics, are not resistant to the t- antibiotics we had 50 years ago. So, what you can do is you can recycle and use the old antibiotics. Bacteria have a very short lifespan, so that they tend to become resistant and then non-resistant to things relatively rapidly. And so you can go back and use old antibiotics on, on many of these uh, bacteria and, and have good results with them. But that certainly um, uh, is a great segue to, you know, when are we going to have the discussion of, you know, what role diet plays, particularly in hospital settings right. where, uh, you know, it's still very much commonplace. You know, well, after a medical procedure, even heart patients are often things like soft drinks and macaroni and cheese, right. Dr. Hemisphere. Right, right. They're offered standard American fare because that's what, of course, we're all used to, and it's all kind of comfort food. And the food it has a lot of problems. Among the problems is that it, most of the foods cause acidity in the bloodstream, and acidity helps bacteria to grow and also slows down the healing process. Acidity itself is inflammatory to the body, narrowing blood vessels. And if you don't believe me, you can take an, an ultrasound, which we've done this, so I know this, this is true. You take an ultrasound, look at the blood vessels in the brain, Give, uh, give an, something that's causing acidity to the system, something absolutely routine, and see blood vessels narrow. And when the blood vessels narrow to the point that they show up on the ultrasound, the ultrasound is normal till the blood vessels narrow to about a third of its normal size, the point at which the tissue that's feeding is actually being robbed of, of energy and no longer functioning properly. So the ultrasound is a, a sign that you've got a lot of narrowing going on. It's a, it's a serious amount. It's not, not something minor at all going on. Uh, and that's overwhelming the body's abilities to compensate for, for it. 
So, yes, these, uh, these diets that folks are having, your, your recommendation, which a lot of people are doing now, to bring in foods right. is, is right. Uh, by family members is a very good recommendation. You know, we, we see hospitals like Russia where that is done routinely and think it's backward when probably it's pretty forward-thinking. It is very, well, my, my brother worked <laughs> in, a, in a hospital in Korea back at 30 years ago, 40 years ago, uh-huh. and the hospital literally, um, the operating room, uh, I, I think, was a, a wooden floor, and, and they they washed their hands. I don't think they even gowned up at that time. And, and then the patients were taken back to, there was no recovery room, they were taken back to a general ward where the family members came in, took care of them, changed their bandages, uh, and cooked for them, and actually cooked with small hibachi grills right by the bedside, and completely took care of these folks. Well, their infection rate, as well as their healing rate, was much greater than it was here in the United States hospitals. So um, good care, even if it's just my, done by family members, right. and good nutrition are absolutely crucial. Now, these people did not get prophylactic antibiotics. No, they but they get things fermented foods like kimchi. Kimchi is even effective against avian flu yeah, viruses. They're basically in a fairly dirty environment with very minor sanitation, modern operating room sanitation techniques. But they were in an environment that, that they had their family there, which helped helped the healing. Sure. They had the they had good food, uh, nutritional food cooked right at their bedside. Uh, and they had, were surrounded by people who cared for them and, and took Hold care that of them. thought. We'll pick it up when we return. Open phone lines. Dr. William Hemisfar joining us today. Your health care questions. I'm Deborah Ray. Twice the fiber and half the fat of regular talk shows. Healthy Talk Radio with Deborah Ray. Open phone lines, any of your health care questions. Dr. William Hammersfar joining us today. For people uh, listening in or who are intrigued about um, your practice specialty, where do they find out more information, Dr. Hammersfar? Uh, 727. We're in Tampa Bay, and we're also on the web. In Tampa Bay, our, our phone number is 727-461-4464. But more importantly, we're on the web at www.hnionline.com. And we put a help column in there, too, which we're looking for. If you have more questions, you can contact me directly through this helpline on the website uh, where there's a space for you to go ahead and give some information, and we'll go ahead and, and get back to, with you all then. And, and we're in, our specials of, specialties, of course, are migraine, headache, brain injury, stroke, learning disabilities, cerebral palsy, aut- autism, um, and and brain and spinal injuries that deal with uh, the, the serious injuries of the nervous system. But it sounds as though that we're, we're redefining, you know, what uh, in, in what conditions stroke is involved, and, and that uh, may, uh, you know, cause you to, to look at, uh, you know, conditions that people would not normally uh, consider related to stroke, but we now have that revelation, uh, Dr. Hammersfar. Yeah, very much. What's happening now is that the nervous system is, is a very sensitive system. It's kind of like uh, if you think about the old canary in the, in, the, in the mind, that when the gases start coming up, the canary would get sick before the miners got sick. The nervous system is like that in the body. It's very sensitive to things going wrong. So we're having a large number of referrals in from physicians for patients with don't, who don't appear to have neurological disease, but in fact, of course, do have some memory loss or balance problems along with their other medical problems. And as we look at them, we're able to find the common denominator, the common problem being blood vessel problems or metabolism or toxicity problems. And using our treatments, we can help to monitor the 
and monitor and fine-tune the other physician's treatments using the nervous system as a guide to therapy and the doses to be given. So it's it's sort of like a, a very sensitive system that lets you help fine-tune treatment for other organs in the body and other areas of the body by looking at the effect of those treatments on the nervous system and then adjusting things. And one of uh, many specialties in medicine, the, you know, the, the gratifying response of people whose uh, lives are literally given back to them after stroke or cerebral palsy or brain injury or an autistic child uh, has to be exciting each and every day, Dr. Hemisphar. Oh, it is. In fact, we, we have videos of these people uh, on our website, which talks about both the stories of the patients, but it actually has the, the patients and their family members talking. And the family members have these phenomenal stories about how they got their family member back together. And, and the the family, you know, family is not just a collection of people. It's a collection of hopes and dreams and sure, fun sure. and, and, and it's memories. And you see these people talk about these things coming back together and, and their experiences. We encourage people to go online. Our thanks to Dr. Hemisphar. Our thanks to you. If you missed anything, please join us online. The, web, the show uh, archive for two weeks at HealthyTalkRadio.com. I'm Deborah Ray reminding you to live long, stay healthy. 